Good evening. We're going to listen to Roland Martin Unfiltered Daily Digital Show in a few seconds for Wednesday evening. Happy Wellness Wednesday, May the 19th, 2021. Happy birthday, Mia Moore at Mia Moore's Family and Child Care Center in Canton. Ohio, the city of the Hall of Fame, National Football Hall of Fame, the first pro football team in the country. Mia Moore, celebrate one year for every year of life that God has blessed you with. Keep it moving. Roland Martin should be on the air any minute. Tulsa Race Massacre survivors testify. Pittsburgh gets its first black mayor and comedian Paul Mooney dies. Pittsburgh gets first black mayor in Philly. D.A. Larry Krasner wins his primary. New lawsuit filed challenging the state's discriminatory election laws. Washington Governor Jay Inslee signed bills that improve accountability for law enforcement. This will be about a two-hour program. It was uh, streamed live earlier this morning from Washington, D.C. So here on the coast, we're about three hours behind Washington, D.C. on the east coast of the United States. Roland Martin brings the funk. He may not be suitable for all audiences because he will say it. He'll put it where the goats can get it. He's going to say what's ever on his mind. So be prepared. Take the little ones away from the broadcast because he will say x-rated <laughs> he'll use the spicy language we're listening to the beautiful music of in vogue he wrote a special song for uncle Roro Roland Martin He's scheduled to show up any minute. You'll know when he's there. He won't disappoint you at all. Oh, the week is half gone. Some of the gods have smiled on me. The gods have smiled on my community and the least we could do is stay prayerful for those who are suffering, sick, hurt, dying, and without the basics, very little freedom, if any. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, the comedian, Paul Mooney, the iconic OG of the comedy stage, has passed away. We'll pay tribute to 
Uh, his life, a lot of uh, comedians, including Robert Townsend, George Wallace, Bill Bellamy, Michael Collier, and many, many more. Also on today's show, uh, the remaining survivors of the 1921 Tulsa race riot massacre testified on Capitol Hill today and called on Congress to consider reparations for the damages done. Change may be coming to Pennsylvania. Uh, Pittsburgh could get its first black mayor in Philadelphia. DA Larry Krasner, he won his primary and guaranteed victory in November. Florida, another lawsuit has been filed challenging the state's discriminatory election laws. Also, in Washington State, Governor Jay Inslee has signed a bill that will improve accountability for law enforcement. Many say it is one of the most important police reform bills in the country. Also on today's show, the family of Andrew Brown, they have filed a federal lawsuit. We'll explain all of that coming up next. I'm rolling on Unfiltered with Sabrina Funk. Let's go. Today on Capitol Hill, a testimony of some of the last surviving members of the Tulsa race riot, which took place in 1921. Riveting, shocking testimony that took place, folks. It's been 100 years since uh, one of the most severe racist incidents in American history took place. Uh, upwards of 300 black people were killed when a heavily armed white mob stormed Greenwood Avenue, known as the Black Wall Street, uh, leaving folks dead, buried in mass graves. Today, the House Judiciary Committee subcommittee heard testimony from survivors to consider possible legal remedies to compensate massacre survivors and their descendants. Here's Viola Fletcher, one of three witnesses who recounted the sight of the dead black bodies lying in the streets. My name is Viola Ford Fletcher. I'm the daughter of Lucinda Ellis and John Wesley Ford of Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm the sister of Hughes Van Ellis, who is also here today. I'm a survivor of the Tulsa Race Massacre. Two weeks ago, I celebrated my 107th birthday. Today, I'm visiting Washington, D.C. for the first time in my life. I'm here seeking justice and I'm asking my country to acknowledge what happened in Tulsa in 1921. I have been blessed with a long life and have seen the best and the worst of this country. I think about the terror, horror inflicted upon black people in this country every day. This continued Mitty has the power to lead us down a better path. I'm asking that my country acknowledge what has been happened to me, the tremors and the pain, the loss, and I ask the survivors and descendants to be given the chance to speak, seek justice, open the door. All of you know how easy it is to deny that that a violent mob threatened your lives and took your property. For 70 years, the city of Tulsa and its stream of chummers told us that the massacre didn't happen, like we didn't see it with our own eyes. You have, have me here right now. You see Mother Randall, you see my brother, Hughes Van Ellis. We live this history, and we can't ignore it. It's our lives with us. We lost everything that day, our homes, our churches, our newspapers, our theaters, our lives. Greenwood represented all the best of 
what was possible for black people in America and for all, for all the people. No one cared about us for almost 100 years. We and our history have been forgotten, washed away. This Congress must recognize us and our history. For black America, for the white Americans, and for all Americans, with that some justice. Thank you. <laughs> I thought it was another page. Thank you very much. We appreciate very much your testimony. Well, for H.R. 40 is awaiting a full vote in the U.S. House that will establish a commission to study reparation proposals. This is my panel, A. Scott Bowles, former chair of the National Bar Association Political Action Committee, Robert Patillo, executive director of Rainbow Push Coalition Peach Tree Street Project, Monique Presley, legal analyst and crisis manager. Uh, let me know, folks. Uh, so I'll, I'll start with you, uh, Scott. Um, we've had um, you've you had attorneys uh, Willie Gary, uh, the late Johnny Cochran, and others who first, and also Professor Charles Ogletree, who first um, were representing these families uh, in trying to get compensation for what took place. Uh, I remember them being at Congressional Black Caucus probably, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, the state of Oklahoma finally apologized, but they've not at one time uh, spent a single dollar. We're going to be in Tulsa uh, next week, uh, beginning on May 27th through June 1st, uh, for the commemoration of the massacre. They've got a they got a, they, they have a Tulsa race riot commission. Uh, money is being raised, all these different things, but not a single cent is going to those survivors. Uh, and so what legal argument can they make to um, be funded, to be, uh, to, for, to be, for it to be repaired? Because there are survivors of the actual massacre. Unfortunately, only three left. Yeah. Uh, a couple things, Roland. They could, one, file a lawsuit, and while the defense would argue that they had um, statute of limitations as run, they could argue that it was an ongoing conspiracy and that they were blocked from filing a lawsuit uh, in between that period of time. Or they could even argue uh, that um, uh, there, were, there are other ongoing claims that they're suffering from uh, on an ongoing basis. The least, uh, or rather the, 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 the least uh, onerous approach to this would be the state legislature and the governor getting together and proposing dollars and compensation in their budget, even if it was through an annuity where they would be paid out over time, not just to the survivors, but to the families of those who didn't survive. It could be carefully crafted. The state has state insurance. The insurance carriers probably wouldn't pay but the state has money in their budget to do the right thing. And that's really the easiest, the best, and least restrictive approach to getting them compensated if the state has the will to do it. But the reality is this here, uh, Monique, uh, and that is Oklahoma, Republican, red state. They won't do that. Dad, a long time ago, if they had any interest whatsoever in doing the right thing, it would have already been done. So while I agree uh, with my colleague that these are things that could happen, I have very little faith that any measures that are available legally or any measures that are available, as we would say in the law, in equity, where people do the right thing because it's the right thing to do or where a judge steps out, does extrajudicial things with his or her power. No, I do not see that happening here. Robert? Well, I think the issue that you're going to run into is that this would open up the floodgates for every other uh, white massacre that uh, happened between the uh, mid-18th century and the mid-19th century. Uh, you can go back to Atlanta, 1906 race riots. You can go to Elaine, Arkansas. You can go to many of the other cases. Uh, so 
what would have to happen is these individuals who are still alive, they are in the best position because they have, you can definitely tie damages to them. Often we hear in the argument against reparations, well, how are you going to identify who was damaged? These people had actual physical damage. Uh, but then you have to find the party who was uh, responsible, uh, that in this case being the government, because as we uh, know, there were police involved, there were uh, surplus World War II aircraft involved in the uh, bombing and killings of these communities. And I think if they could get this case in front of a federal judge, uh, at least they could survive a, a motion to dismiss or a motion for summary judgment and be able to, uh, to move it towards trial. I think if you get past that procedural hurdle, that's how you start compelling people to doing the right thing. The hard part is just getting in front of the judge and getting the, uh, and at least uh, surviving the initial barrage of motions to be able to actually have a good faith argument over it. Uh, it's a hard one. It's a, it's a long shot. But I think it's the best shot that we have given the current political climate, and we're in the best position, position we have been in the last 100 years to address it. Well, the thing that we're looking at here, I mean, the reality is the state was indeed an actor in this. These folks were not protected. They did not send in state officials as well. And so can you not make the argument, Scott, uh, that the state was complicit in allowing this violence uh, to move forward? Yeah, but you still got to convince a judge and jury and beat the motions to dismiss because arguing that they would be out of time. Here's another approach that if the federal government, right, in an effort uh, to, uh, to bring justice to these individuals, if the Dems take over the House and Senate, right, then, uh, or if they take it over in a, mo a larger majority, if you will, after 2022, they could seek federal relief. This is about a groundswell of support and a movement, if you will, and making people do the right thing. It may not happen in Oklahoma, but if the Dems are in control of all three houses and their sentiment of support, then why not ask the feds to do the same? Monique? I agree with Scott, but as I said before... That's two in a row. It's early in the show. Well, but, but the thing is, Scott is probably the best at coming up with the narrowest of legal theories that may, if the sun rises at 546 in 15 seconds, work. And they're always right, but they're just not likely. And I'm just much more of a realist. And, and no, no, I do not see it. Yes, it was a state actor, but no. These, these are, they've had good lawyers working on this for a whole lot of years with zero success. So I just, I don't even pretend to think that there's something new that can be done here. It's gonna take voters voting in, in a really hard state, um, a lot of elected in order to get this done. So uh, Robert, uh, should there be uh, mass protests? Should there be targeting of Oklahoma, putting pressure there? Uh, again, they're having all of these events taking place in Tulsa. Actually, it's very interesting. They have these competing interests. You sort of got the official Tulsa uh, uh, commission, that the city commission, uh, that's been called the white commission. Then you have the black folks doing their own, and I've been getting emails and agendas from both. Uh, and so uh, people are going to be gathering there uh, uh, May 27th through June 1st. Um, you know, again, what type of should there be pressure on the Oklahoma legislature to say, hey, this happened in your state. Y'all should be paying for this. Well, you know, the, the craziest thing about this, we, we talk about uh, the boys and the souls of black folks. This is a time to start appealing to the souls of white folks. And truth, the, the, the scariest thing about this conversation is most white people did not find out about the Tulsa, Oklahoma race riots until the cartoon or the comic book show Watchmen came on. Uh, HBO, and they said, wait, this really happened? This isn't a cartoon? This isn't Thanos? This really happened to black people? So I think we have to start appealing and uh, helping them to understand the history as it took place. Uh, they know more about the Tudors in, uh, uh, in England or about the ancient Romans than they know about black history in America and the trials and tribulations that we have gone through and the people who have actually lived directly through it. And I think once they understand and once you can build that groundswell, well, then you can create a legislative majority uh, that can address these issues because you're going to have similar issues with Native American populations. We recently had a court ruling that said half of Oklahoma belongs to the Native American populations. You got to have the same issues with lynching victims. You know, 5,000 African Americans were lynched by state actors in many cases who would also claim, uh, argue that they would have a claim against the government. But once you have to change the souls of white folks to understand what that history is, that this isn't critical race theory, this isn't a conspiracy against you, it's the history that we have lived, and 
and that creates the political groundswell to have to remedy many of these problems and move the ball forward on social justice in America. So you have, uh, of course, the House uh, who hasn't been scheduled yet uh, on HR 40. Here, though, Scott, you have you have all these different debates. Folks talk about taking back the slavery in Evanston, Illinois. They base it upon federal housing patterns, uh, and so if you had before, well, the federal government provided uh, relief, uh, compensation to uh, interned Japanese Americans. Uh, how do you make the argument that individuals who suffered, um, who suffered uh, from racial uh, destruction uh, of homes and communities, uh, should not also be compensated? You, you can't. There, there's no. Dis, there's no distinction. I mean, everybody's struggle is different. But if they apologize to the Japanese internment victims and compensated them, uh, and they've apologized to them. Uh, why would black America and its 400 years of oppression be any different? I got to tell you, we are the largest minority group, at least we've been for quite some time. Actually, actually, actually now we're second. Latinos are number okay. one, we're two. I said for a long time we were, but we're clearly the most oppressed from slavery to, to current. And yet America just seems to be resistant to apologize for the atrocities we've suffered and to let alone compensate us, right? Just apologize, which would be the first step, in my opinion, of reparations. And yet, the melanin in my the melanin in my skin just will not compare people that don't look like me to do the right thing. For some reason, they want to walk away and say, "Well, my ancestors did that, but I haven't done that." But but people that don't look like me are part of the living legacy of oppression of their ancestors. And you're not giving up anything if I ask you to do the right thing. Because you didn't earn that white privilege. It was given to you, and we built America. Now, that's a hard sell to people that don't look like me. But you know what? It's the right thing. And the right thing to do. Well, Monique, uh, doing the right thing is not necessarily what America has always done. No, but what I wanted to say, you were talking about the kind of how they're having the official, non-official, the black, the white, in terms of memorials. I know for sure that... Um, Senator Scott uh, and that uh, Senator Booker and some significant and maybe all the way up to the top of the ladder at the White House are attending the black folks uh, commemoration. So if ever there was going to be a time where people would want to make their voices heard, this would be it. Uh, good point, Robert. Uh, yeah, I do think that we have to work across the aisle. You have Tim Scott, who has shown some interest. We have to start convincing people uh, that the same way. I would just, I, I, I tell people all the time, I just want black folks in America to get that same deal that the Jewish community got in Israel because they recognize the harm done to that community. They recognize the trials and tribulations and atrocities that took place in Europe over the course of many uh, centuries leading up to the uh, uh, the Holocaust and could uh, inexorably see what led to it. And they got a country out of it. They got military protection. They got subsidies. They got uh, literally all the entire package. So why can't black Americans get that for what we've gone through in this country, what they've got in and uh, uh, over there for, um, for what they've gone through? And I think that that's has, we have to get on one accord and start fighting towards that because accepting anything less than that is to dishonor those, uh, those ancestors who went before us, who were fought and who died, who were massacred and killed and went through the types of atrocities no human being has ever meant to experience. You dishonor them if you do not fight to, uh, to remedy and to have justice for their name. Speaking of fighting uh, for uh, the honor of one's name, the family of Andrew Brown Jr., they plan to file a federal lawsuit against the sheriff's deputies who were involved in his shooting death on April 21st. This comes after yesterday's news conference where DA Andrew Wombo Jr. announced that, that the shooting was justified and he was not going to pursue charges against those particular officers. Uh, Chase Lynch, uh, who is one of the attorneys for the Brown family based there in North Carolina, he also says the family is demanding that both the family wants to see full, unredacted body camera footage as well as details from the State Bureau of Investigation, uh, which who the DA says led uh, their particular uh, uh, left the investigation part of this. Uh, Monique, uh, what about that in terms of the lawsuit of the family against uh, the sheriff's deputies uh, in federal uh, court? I, I don't see it holding much promise. 
this is another one of those areas where the the prosecution, the state level, the state um, had a wide amount of discretion, and they are using it in a manner that really most of us don't like, don't approve of, think is wrongful, but the federal standards are so different than that, um, that I don't think that there will be any hurry up because a lawsuit is filed. And I say this at risk of every single lawyer on this thing, because I know them, but this just to me is not the winning strategy. So, Robert, what is a winning strategy? If you're the family, what do you do? Because uh, the, only thing, the only thing left is what? Wait for the FBI to see what happens with their investigation? Well, I, I would say wait for the FBI, but I, I think an analogous case in many ways would be the Ahmaud Arbery case. Uh, because initially it's gonna, uh, it was not charged by the local DA, went to another uh, DA, was not charged by that one, went to a third DA, was not charged. It wasn't until the full video came out that you had the Georgia Bureau of Investigation come in and then have the charges put in. So I, I don't think we should think of this as being the only bite of the apple that's going to happen. You're going to have state-level uh, investigations. We are at some point going to get the full unredacted body cam footage. We are going to get those ring video doorbell cameras uh, coming out. We will find out witness statements, etc. This is why it's so important to have uh, to vote in local elections and have local prosecutors that actually support and believe in the Constitution of the United States of America. Because the way the process is supposed to work is you kill somebody, we indict you, we have a trial. And that the point of the trial is so that the public understands the evidence against the individual, that we don't have a secret star chamber, that the jury gets the opportunity to hear the, uh, to hear the witness testimony and see all the evidence and come out with a resolution that the public can accept. When it's simply a prosecutor behind closed doors saying, in my personal judgment, in my individualized opinion, this should not go forward, there should not be a prosecution, that's something that the public cannot accept. So I do think we'll see more bites of the apple at this on the state level. Uh, as far as the federal hate crimes laws, this is part of the reason we need to reform those laws because they've been in place so long. It's nearly impossible often for the Justice Department to build a prima facie case to even make charges um, despite even the most uh, incongruent evidence. So it is time for us to take a look at those charges that are on the books. We saw this with the Asian American community recently, the enhancement of hate crime protections for them. We should do the same for African Americans against police brutality. Well, the thing here, though, um, uh, look, I, Scott, I understand the point uh, Robert makes there in terms of uh, other investigations, but you can't compare it to Ahmaud Arbery. The difference there was uh, it went from went to two, three different prosecutors, and then the third one recused themselves and invited the Georgia Bureau investigation in. North Carolina law, the DA has to invite the state attorney general of North Carolina. I already said is on record saying he would investigate, but the DA has to ask them to come in. So you're so because this DA has the jurisdiction, it's limited in terms of what can happen next. The state can't come in and say, "Okay, we're now going to uh, take this thing over." So on. So in North Carolina, it appears as if that's it. Well, but wait a minute now. I talk about the civil justice system all the time. Are we, am I missing something? The criminal justice system may give punishment. But it doesn't bring back the, the person that's deceased. Well, that's, that's, well that's, that's, why, that's why I asked the question at the outset when the family said they were going to file a federal lawsuit against the sheriff's deputy. That's a civil lawsuit. I'm speaking of, yeah. I'm speaking of, when, of actions taken in North Carolina on the criminal side. The, D, the district attorney has the jurisdiction by him choosing not to pursue charges. That's it in that particular county. There's no other way in North Carolina for the, for the state to move forward uh, in a criminal investigation because the DA has already rendered his decision. Yeah. No, I agree with my colleague. Uh, that That's pretty much it. You can't appeal a, a, a discretionary investigation that says they're not going to go forward, which is why you've got to focus on the federal lawsuit on the civil side. He's not coming back, but compensation is a possibility. And by the way, uh, they can file in state court, too. They can file state charges in federal court as well and have ancillary jurisdiction. The only thing left for this family to do is to get a lawyer to file their lawsuit. They can file in state claims in the state court. They can file federal claims in the federal court. Or they can do both, right? They can do both in federal court. And if they can survive a motion for summary judgment or motion to dismiss, then that's where their justice is. 
That's where their civil justice is. They get compensated if they win, but neither justice system, criminal or civil, the deceased is not coming back. And you can get discovery, by the way. You can get mediation uh, in on the civil side, and you really can take the depositions of the bad actors. You can take the dep depositions of the state actors, if you will, as well as the DA in a, in a civil proceeding, and you get a lot more evidence and a lot more information about what happened and the exposure and liability of not only the state, but also the bad actors through the civil justice process. Well, well how about this, uh, Robert, and weigh in on this one here, okay? So this DA made a decision. What if the people, first of all, this DA is running for office, a Superior Court judge. What if there's a new DA? Can a new DA pick it up and actually indict? Uh, absolutely. Uh, they, they can, but and also there's a, another factor. Remember the judge ruled that this uh, information could not be made public for, what, 30 to 45 days uh, when the body cam footage will be released to the public. There's every every chance and every opportunity the uh, information gets made public and there's no pressure put on the DA to at least reopen the case or to invite the attorney general in to be able to investigate it from a state level. So I, I wouldn't give up on this, uh, this uh, just yet because I do think that as information becomes more public, uh, as public outcry, these people are still public officials who have to respond to the will of the people. And as that stuff grows, you may see this reopen and see another opportunity uh, to have criminal justice in this case as well as just civil justice in Scotland. Uh, Monique, you're shaking your head. Because, no, um, the prosecutor is not supposed to respond to the will of the people. That is exactly the opposite. I mean, the, the reason why we protest is because we protest an injustice. That doesn't mean that a prosecutor, prosecutor who's doing what he or she believes the law requires is supposed to change their decision, even a discretionary decision, based on the fact that people are angry. That but is based on the fact of a question of look, a new prosecutor certainly can do that. One, one, sec one second, one second, one second. Monique finished and Scott. Okay, so what, what, what we're finding, and this is another case where we're finding it, what we really need to know is why they came out there in riot gear in the first place. What we really need to know is why to execute a drug warrant they had, you know, a SWAT team times five. What we really need to know is why they were predisposed to think that this man, who was not some upper-level criminal, not even like a low-level felon, um, why any of that was necessary. Because they then are ready, they're at the ready for something terrible to happen. But when all you're looking at is the video, and when there's a tie, the tie's going to always end up going to law enforcement. So, for instance, the car itself is viewed in the eyes of the law as a deadly weapon. So even if the decedent was backing up and then going forward in order to get away, and it's arguable that any one of those officers was placed in danger, even even a hair on the chinny-chin-chin was touched, then a court is going to uphold whichever one of those officers or all three of them shot. That is the unfortunate part of the matter. We've got to change laws so that we don't end up in a position where we are sending law enforcement inappropriately to start wars on civilians. Because that's what happened that day. And and even if the deceased got scared and tried to get away, and in the course of getting away, placed one of those officers in danger, it ain't going to go right. It's not. And it's going to be hard to prove that any of that was because of race. This, this is very different than any of the other cases that we've been looking at. And so I agree, frankly, with the prosecutor saying this is a tragedy. What I don't agree with is the decision that was made, but that's because I, too, like everybody else, haven't seen the full video. I don't know if seeing the full video is going to help us. I want to see it, but I don't know if it's going to help. Scott? What's I mean, some of what you say is the obvious, but you certainly have to continue to protest and keep the pressure on. 
because justice delayed is justice denied. And if you get a new prosecutor, absolutely, a new prosecutor can take a fresh look at it and determine um, determine that it is worth going forward. And that's only going to come from political and public pressure. I mean, that's what happened in the Cosby case that you know very well. He, they cut a deal on the civil side, and they agreed not to prosecute him. And then years later, they got a new prosecutor. Hell, he ran on prosecuting Cosby, and then... You know, because we got prosecuted. Probably a bad so example, but he shouldn't have been prosecuted. But yes, my point is, discretion. You have discretion. The only difference between criminal proceedings... Monique, Monique, hold on, Monique. Monique, hold on. I, I, I stopped him from interrupting you. You can't interrupt him. Scott? No, but he's, he's on white. No, 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 I got it. Scott, Scott, finish your point, then I'll go back to Monique, then I'll go to Robert. Go. Okay, so... so DAs and federal prosecutors have a huge amount of discretion. If you can convince one to take a fresh look at it and then convince them that it's worth pursuing, then that can certainly happen. But again, you still have the civil, the, the, the criminal justice piece helps you on the civil side normally, but sure, you got to keep the pressure on and get a different decision, throw some resources behind it, and then uh, let them bring the prosecution. Because there's some cases that have to be tried, Roland. Whether they're tough or not, there's some that have to be tried because the public needs to have confidence in the uh, prosecution and the justice system and doing what's right, even if you may not be able to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. You got to try. Monique? What happened in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and you know this is not a subject that I speak on ever, but what happened mm -hmm. there is the exact reason why prosecutors should not change their minds with the change of their political parties or with the change of election cycles. They are to uphold an oath with neither... But it happens. Scott, Scott, she's happens. talking. They are Why don't you just let me debate her? Because the audience can't hear what either one is saying if you're talking over each other. Pony, they are go. to uphold an oath with neither fear nor favor with a fair and unimpeachable partial view of the evidence and if the evidence doesn't change then the fact that a lynch mob is waiting outside their door or waiting on their twitter feed should not change the decision to prosecute or not prosecute so what i am saying here is that no that is not the reason why we protest we don't protest so that we can change the just discretion of a prosecutor. We protest so that we can change laws so that we don't end up in this position that we are in right now. But no, the reason why I want to be able to trust the prosecutors is because they know the things we don't know. So if we see the evidence and it looks like, oh my God, the way it looked for us in George Floyd, the difference between what they showed us and what a separate camera of a teenage girl look like, fine. But if we you had all kinds of facts in this debate. You had all kinds of facts in this debate. It happens all the time. Robert, 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 go ahead, Robert, go ahead. Robert, go ahead. This is why I think that we we have to calm down and wait for the additional evidence to be made public. The judge said 30 to 45 days for release of the video. We still need to find out the neighbor's ring camera video, what is on that. Uh, also, uh, through the civil justice system, we'll be finding out more information about the state of mind of police officers and what is involved. And I think once that information comes out, it may very well be that the judge ha or the uh, either the DA has to excuse himself and allow the state to come in, or they'll have to re uh, reopen the issue. But I, I, I don't think we should just assume this is a fait accompli that we are done with this discussion. I do think there will be more, uh, more so coming from the state going forward. All right, folks, let's talk about politics. Maybe. Let's talk about yesterday in Pennsylvania. A lot of Republicans were saying, hey, we now can uh, do some big pickups and defeat the Democrats. Well, in Pittsburgh, uh, that city is close to electing its first black mayor. Yesterday, State Representative Ed Ganey won the Democratic primary, upsetting two-term mayor Bill Peduto. Ganey ran his campaign on the platform of fighting for everyone and not just a few. He accused Peduto of breaking promises, asking agents of color to continue to suffer. Ganey could become Pittsburgh's first black mayor as a Republican opponent, if not filed to run uh, in the primary. And so that means that he'll be running unopposed in November. In Philadelphia, a lot of eyes were on this particular race where uh, progressive district attorney Larry Craster 
was running. The, uh, he's the vow of a challenger in the Democratic primary from challenger Carlos Vega, who built himself as a less progressive candidate. He also ran with the strong support of the police union. Krasner will face Republican challenger and well-known local attorney Charles Perudo Jr. in November. But we're talking about a very Democratic city. Uh, and so uh, Krasner is essentially a shoe-in. Here's what this election also says, Robert, and we're seeing this. Historically, when you ran for DA, you had the endorsement of the police union, you were a shoe-in. We're now seeing that the endorsement of the police union in some of these cities acts as the one thing you do not want. Well, you're, you're absolutely correct. And I think we're seeing this wave across the country. I, I call it the black uh, black girl magic wave of mayors that we saw nationwide, uh, everything from St. Louis to Atlanta to New Orleans to uh, Baltimore, all across the country. And we're seeing the same thing with progressive DAs because individuals are understanding that, uh, quite frankly, locking up people and throwing away the key does not do anything to keep communities safer. It doesn't do anything to reduce crime rates. It doesn't do anything for restorative justice or to uh, bring people back into the community as restored citizens. And because of that, we're seeing a new progressive wave of elected officials, particularly on the criminal justice side of the aisle. What's going to be interesting, however, is to see the police response, because what we saw in uh, Chicago and Atlanta and uh, Baltimore and other places that we try to put reform then. We have a progressive district attorney who is trying to go up against the police, uh, police union and the fraternal order of police, that they often will just simply allow crime to go get out of control to uh, try to get those elected officials out of office. So it's going to be a continuous balancing act um, between the interest of, uh, of restorative justice and the power of those police unions. But at the same time, the public has to stay engaged. You cannot simply vote and then check out because the these progressive politicians that you elected are going to need your support going forward. Otherwise, they will be politically crippled. We're seeing uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms not running for re-election uh, in Atlanta, uh, partially for that reason. The, the police decided that uh, if they were going to have to uh, face sanctions for anything they did, they would simply let crime run out of control. So we're going to have to keep it, uh, be focused and cognizant of that and make sure we keep electing more progressive elected officials and holding people accountable. We saw Monique in Los Angeles where Jackie Lacey, an uh, African-American woman, was a DA. She got defeated. Uh, there are a lot of black folks who opposed her because in her tenure, she never prosecuted a single police officer. Uh, many felt that she was too cozy with police. What we're now seeing, we're now seeing voters who truly understand how vital a district attorney, the role that it plays. I think after, of course, what took place in the death of Tamir Rice, with Cuyahoga County, that DA was defeated. When you had Bob McCullough, uh, the, the DA in St. Louis, he got beat by Wesley Bell. People now realize that, you know what, if you want to change the criminal justice system, start with the DA. Yes, and as I've said on this show probably at least 15 times, we want district attorneys, county attorneys, state's attorneys of conscience, not necessarily of a particular color. Lacey is the prime example of that. Do I want more black and brown folks in these offices? Yes, because I believe based on life experience, based on cultural experiences, they have a better understanding of the people who they will be making discretionary decisions about whether to prosecute or to not, whether they can offer deferred adjudication, whether they can offer um, some kind of some kind of enhancement in order to bring a young person along without them going into crime again, um, keeping recidivism rates low. But here's Lacey. She had no problem prosecuting black people, just not cops, right? And, and I know some of the black people she had no problem prosecuting. Again, we talked about the same stuff tonight I'm trying not to talk about. But my point is, we do see the Kempot. We do see. <laughs> that really made no sense whatsoever. But How you know, what's she talking about? What's she you, talking about? Do you not know the lazy history as it concerns me? You talk about stuff, stuff we not we talked about before. Don't want to talk about now. Just, just go on. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so my point is, you know what? You had to be there to get it. My point is, and clearly none of us were there. Not, it's not color. Will you leave her alone, Ruin? It's conscience, but color. remember these these elections are in cities democratic cities i think they're they're black folks and i think you can make the argument roland suggested but it's a drop in the bucket compared to other da races all around this country law and order still reigns 
I think it's changing, but it's incremental. And in the end, people who run for the DA's office, they either run for balance, they still want the police union endorsement. And to the police decide that they want excellence and they want to be bigger, better, and brighter, and that they don't mind body cams because body cams uh, keep them honest and they're not doing anything they're ashamed of. It's a long road to hoe. It just really is. But I hear you, Roland. I think you're right about that. But I think it's I think it's incremental compared to a movement or a wave uh, under these um, circumstances. I'm glad people are voting down ballot, though. I'm glad they're understanding after you pushed them and pushed them and others have to vote in all elections and vote in all uh, 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 precincts or vote vote for every office that's on the ballot, so that's good to know, but I don't think it's a big dip yet. Well, well, Scott, I, I would disagree. I do think it's a way because if you look at where these progressive DAs are getting elected, it's in the places that, what, uh, that black people actually live at. So maybe in the middle of Des Moines, Iowa, they're still on the old you know, Bull Connor uh, law and order thing. But if you look at Atlanta, where we have Keith Gamage as the Solicitor General, Bonnie Willis is the uh, DA. If you look at um, uh, Baltimore, Marilyn Mosby, who's decided not to prosecute minor crimes, the places where we actually live at, we're yeah. asserting actual police yeah, control there. Thank you. So, yeah. 
who are debating this bill listen. Recognized for 30 seconds. I, wa I want to thank the gentleman from New York and the other Republicans who are supporting this and thank them for their bipartisanship. To the other 90% of our friends on the other side of the aisle, holy cow. Incoherence. No idea what you're talking about. Benghazi, you guys chased the former Secretary of State all over the country, spent millions of dollars. We have people scaling the Capitol, hitting the Capitol Police with lead pipes across the head, and we can't get bipartisanship. What else has to happen in this country? Cops. This is a slap in the face to every rank-and-file cop in the United States. If we're going to take on China, if we're going to rebuild the country, if we're going to reverse climate change, we need two political parties in this country that are both living in reality, and you ain't one of them. Uh, He's somebody can just say that. How you really feel, uh, Congressman Ryan? Uh, Monique, uh, somebody needed to say that. Republicans, uh, being evil, despicable, uh, shameful, uh, and then, then for um, uh, for McCarthy uh, to come out and say. Well, you know, uh, I don't support this because this needs to include uh, the uh, Black Lives Matter and FIFA. And in what? fact, let's include the attack at the congressional uh, baseball practice four years ago to make this all about attack on political discourse. No! They were like, no, we're going to talk about January 6th. Uh, and then uh, Congressman Benny Thompson uh, uh, came out and said he thinks that the reason that uh, McCarthy doesn't want there to be a commission is because he don't want to have to reveal... Uh, the folks who were complicit in this, and this is about protecting a lot of Republicans, and now you, of course, have Mitch McConnell, who's now said he will not support this January 6th commission. Your thoughts? Well, he doesn't want to have to reveal the folks who were complicit in it, including himself, <laughs> right? Because we have people, even on Fox News, who are interviewing the likes of Liz Cheney and playing clips, prior clips, Wallace, I can't remember who it was right now, who was interviewing McCarthy and saying, did you or did you not, basically doing an attorney-level cross-examination, have this conversation with then-President Trump on January 6th, where this was revealed, and McCarthy denied it, right? But I think that they've got the goods on it. And so they know that those things are going to come out, and they know that they're going to take a hit because members of their own party were involved and that they're not going to be able to defend their actions. So instead of having to do what they're going to have to do now, which is defend it in front of the American people, they wanted to first be opposed to it and throw up every ridiculous reason they possibly could to be opposed to it, which just shows, again, they are identityless, they are amoral, uh, they are not in anything that represents even the aims or the intent or the values of this country or of our Constitution. We have only one party right now and some independent folks who are doing that. These folks, no, 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 you cannot count on them for anything. These progressive groups set of America, they dropped this 30-second uh, spot that uh, pretty much sums it up. Democracy is not in crisis. We await the inauguration of Joe Biden as president. <laughs> from many, uh, many Congress people that they thought that there were other congressmen, even people while they were theoretically hiding out, tweeting out the locations of the Speaker of the House to be mobbed during the actual Capitol riot. That there were Congress people who were giving uh, future rioters tours of the White House, even though the Capitol's on lockdown, uh, in the days leading up to it. I think Republicans are realizing that the MAGA wing of the party is not only complicit, but probably the leaders of much of this movement. And when Mitch McConnell sees and says, well, Hawley and Ted Cruz will probably be expelled from Congress after these hearings, they realize they have to come out against it. So this is all the more people, all the more reason for the American people to demand this type of type of commission and demand that people are held accountable for what they did because this is nothing short of treason. The way that they have run after and tried to accuse everyone else of treason while doing it themselves, I think, is amazing and galling. And this is why it's so crucial to have this type of commission, to have the Department of Justice ready, willing, and able to prosecute. Yeah, but this is this is just sheer lunacy, too. This is Trump's lunacy. I mean, I don't know how the Republicans take this position, let alone challenge the election after the insurrection, go right back in, and then believe 
presumably can get reelected. That, that's the danger in all of this. It isn't the lunacy of their position because it clearly manifests that they can care less about the democracy. They can care less about their personal safety and the safety of others. And they can care less about the Constitution. None of them should ever say they love the country or they love democracy or the Constitution. But what's really uh, sad and demoralizing <coughs> excuse me, is that they can take these positions that are anti-American positions got it. and fully expect to get reelected, Roland. I got you. And their constituency will continue yeah. to support this lunacy. Because they believe in white supremacy, folks. Uh, I totally appreciate it. We're going to leave it right there. Scott, Nick, and Robert, thank you so very much. Uh, folks, as we come back, I'll continue to do the great uh, Paul Fuller at this day. Oakland, the age of 79, next on Roland Martin.